0: You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guests and hear their story. Amy, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It is an honor to have you on the program today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You have an amazing testimony of deliverance from addiction. And also, I jokingly say, and people will find out what this means a little later, God's got your number, doesn't he? Yes, he
1: does. That is so
0: true. (laughs) What I'd love for you to do, please, is share a little bit about your backstory. Where did you grow up and how did you grow up with respect to your faith and what led you into addiction?
1: Okay. Yeah, I grew up in Oklahoma City. My parents both born and raised here. We didn't really grow up in church. We went to church sporadically on holidays and with our grandparents. I had a lot of trauma growing up. My mom got into alcohol on her 40th birthday, and that really changed the dynamics in our home. My parents didn't communicate well with one another. They fought That was their way of communicating. And so that's how I grew up and thought that was the norm. Wow. As a teenager, I really dabbled in drugs. And before I knew it, I was fully immersed in drug culture. And if there was a drug, I would take it. I had no regard for my mind, my body. I didn't understand fully what I was doing to my body. I just knew that that's what I did to cope. And I wasn't realizing then that's what I was doing to cope. Now I do. And that lifestyle led me and my friends to experience suicide from one of our best friends committing suicide. Mm. And a year later to the day, his little brother committing suicide. And we were just really lost and in darkness. And as a mom looking back, realizing that all of us had fathers who were not present. There was actually one of our friends that did have a present father in the home. But outside of that, there was either no parent involvement of a father especially, or like my dad, he worked all the time. He was always, always gone working and just did not have parent role playing actively engaging and mentoring you know
0: let me pause and ask you this when did you start dabbling in this was this high school or post high school
1: actually the first time I ever smoked pot was in second grade because my sister made me do it so I couldn't tell on her and her friends when I walked in on them wow so that was my first exposure I didn't really start doing drugs until high school And so my freshman year, I did a little pot and some cocaine. And then my sophomore year, I just really went headstrong into all sorts of drugs.
0: Now, was there a spiritual component of this? Were you seeking something at the same time in terms of different religions?
1: Yes, there definitely was. So I remember going to a Barnes and Noble and seeing a witchcraft book on the shelf, and it piqued my attention. And so, I purchased it, and I then started dabbling in all things witchcraft and tarot cards and numerology and just all sorts of different things. And I was searching for God. I just didn't know that's what I was doing. I was just searching because I knew there was something bigger, but not fully aware of what.
0: During that time, did it ever come back to your mind about going to church during the Christmas or Easter holidays?
1: Oh, no, no. That was what my mom made us do for certain. Definitely not during that time at all. And I will say like my first friend who committed suicide, I remember we were on his back porch the night before he did commit suicide, and he was telling us of all the good things that were going on in his life and how he was going to turn his life around. And he was telling us about Jesus and god and i said i don't believe in that and he said i pray that you will believe in that and know god and i stood up right after he said that in frustration and a nail ripped my brand new jeans and that kind of seared that into my mind and it wasn't until later coming back remembering that conversation that he said that
0: wow amy to have that testimony and then for him to take his own life that next day
1: The very next day. And that's what like rocks my mind. What was going through? Was it enemy attack? I don't know.
0: But Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then his brother a year later.
1: Yes. And that was my best friend at the time. So.
0: How did that affect you?
1: I threw myself into more drugs. The night before his brother committed suicide, we had taken 17 volumes together. And so in my mind, that was not fully there. I said, well, I will never take a volume again. And I did it. And so, all throughout my addiction story, there's been different moments in life that I had made a determination that I would not cross over this threshold. Or, like, whenever I was really heavy into cocaine, my best friend got pregnant. And so, I stopped doing cocaine because she couldn't and be pregnant. Mm-hmm. Or, I was, as a heroin addict, I would not shoot up. That was my line. And my boyfriend, who was the heroin dealer, I found a needle and that was it for me. And so I broke up with him and I moved on from heroin to meth. And while I was on meth, that's when I met the Lord. High on meth, at that time in my life, I worked at City Bites. My best friend lived with me and my mom and they had just changed the combo prices at the sandwich shop and everything was eight forty-three all day long. And then I would notice as I'm driving or looking at the clock, it would be eight forty-three over and over. And it was driving me crazy. Mm. And my friend Sarah said, maybe it's a Bible verse. And I thought, a Bible verse? Because I'm not believing in God at all at this time. I did have a Bible that I stole from a motel to use for joint paper, sadly.
0: Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> So, you took a Bible, a Gideon Bible probably, right? Yes,
1: yes. And
0: you got it because you like the paper to roll joints with. Correct. (laughs) So
1: sad, but God used that Bible in a mighty way, even if I had bad intentions, He was getting the Word in me.
0: (laughs) Tell me what happened as you started looking for that scripture or just those verses.
1: Yeah, so we're flipping through just all throughout, back and forth, trying to find an 843, and there was nothing. Like, we could not find anything. And finally, we come to the last chapter of the Bible that we have it flipped through, and it was John 843 and... The verse said, "Why is my language unclear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I have to say." Whoa! And I was so stubborn and strong-headed. You know, just never listened to anyone. People told me that all the time, and in that moment, I just knew that scripture was for me, and I felt like my heart of stone became a heart of flesh. It was the most amazing experience. High on meth. Yeah. (laughs) And. I told all my friends about Jesus, and they all thought I was nuts. I didn't know how to follow God at all at that time. I didn't have anyone in my life to show me how to follow God. And so I continued on in my addiction, reading the Bible when I could, trying to find God. I was 17, almost 18 when that happened, right before my 18th birthday, actually.
0: When you had that experience of looking at that scripture— and seeing that basically leap off the page and into your heart, Mm -hmm. what went on in your mind? Can you give me a little more detail about what happened?
1: I literally instantly believed that God is real.
0: So you've got years of rejecting him. He leads you to this scripture, and immediately a light switch flipped.
1: Immediately, like completely. So that is something that when people say, oh, they're not able to be reached. God met me in the middle of addiction with no Christian influence in my life on a Bible that I took from a motel room so that I could do horrible things with. He used that to penetrate my heart in a way that nobody could, only Him. And He used that to continue to pursue me, even in my addiction. So, this happened shortly before the hardest season that I'd ever walked through, and that was losing my mom to drinking and driving. She was the one drinking and driving. And she lost her life. And I remember the policeman coming to my door and waking me and Sarah up and telling us the news. And the hope that that scripture gave me on John eight forty three it's carried me through that season in a way that Only he could. There was just an assurance of that number and him and him being with me that going through paperwork after my mom died and I'm looking at the paperwork and I was born at 14300 North Macaulay. And back then, 143 was, we had Pagers then 143 meant I love you. And it just kept being repeated that 43 and 143. And the funeral was at 143.43 North MacArthur. My grandmother address was 4301. You know, it just kept repeating. And before my mom died, we did not have a good relationship, a healthy relationship, I should say. And one of my friends' moms OD'd on heroin and they threw her out at the emergency room and she didn't die from the overdose. She died from trauma to her head. And my mom told me when I was sharing that with her that she was a heroin addict before and she had never shared that with me. I did not know that about my mom and just some of the hardships that she went through. And we had our only heart-to-heart that I ever remember that night when she shared that with me. And she told me to never stay mad at my father never have an abortion, and make sure I graduate high school because those were her three regrets. And that carried me through many years. And so after my mom died, I went back to high school because I was short a half credit of English 4. I had a semester I needed to do. And so I went to summer school at Putnam City North High School. And halfway through that summer school session, I look up at the desk that was covered. They had all these papers taped all over it. It was a hot mess. And in the center, typed out on a sheet of paper, taped to a public school teacher's desk, was John eight forty three. Why is my language unclear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I have to say. And I was like, oh, my word. He sees me. He knows me. And he continued to pursue me. Man. Wow. Yeah. Really amazing.
0: I can hardly talk right now hearing this. Thank you, Lord.
1: Yes, He pursues you in amazing ways that speak to your heart, and He used numbers to do that for me.
0: How long after you got that scripture from the Bible did your mother pass?
1: She passed April 2002, so it was right before I turned 19, a week before I turned 19, and so I think it was maybe... Within that last year, that all had happened. It prepared me for a lot of what we walked through with her in those last months of her addiction.
0: So as you're getting this scripture again in the classroom in summer school, which again is a mind blow to me, what happened after that?
1: It just warmed my heart to see that. And I did continue on in my addiction, not to the degree that it was after she passed. I definitely did not. Pick back up meth, heroin, those type things. i I just continued on. I really became an alcoholic. And despite even what my mom went through, I drank all the time from nineteen on until twenty one mm-hmm. and tried to pursue the Lord, but didn't know what that looked like. And in that time frame, I had worked at a Church nursery. I wasn't really drinking as heavy then. And I had gone to work in the nursery that morning and decided I was going to go to the service. And so I went up to the service, and Rational Squire was there talking about God winks. And he talked about how when a God wink is not a coincidence, it's God reassuring you that He's there, you're on the right path. And he had talked about how God used numbers in His life to reassure Him. Really? Really, yeah.
0: You're working at a nursery. You're not going to church. You're just working no. there. You're doing it for the money. You don't know really how to pursue the Lord. And then the Lord leads you up to this guy. What's his name again?
1: rational Squire. He wrote a book called God Winks. He's just talking about how these n- numbers were repeating throughout his life and how God used that to confirm to him the path that he was on. And comforted him with that. And that's exactly what the Lord had done for me. And so that was just another confirmation that the Lord sees me and knows me. And years of partying continued until I was 21, 22, and I ended up getting pregnant. And I so badly wanted to have an abortion. I hate to say that now. I didn't know how to deal with what was happening. And All I could remember was my mom saying, never have an abortion. And so I did not. I stuck by her words. I really wanted to honor that. Mm -hmm. And I ended up meeting my husband while I was pregnant. And the Lord just used him in a mighty way and used my son that I was carrying to draw me to him. He used my husband to show me how to follow him because my husband grew up in the church. And he knew God. He wasn't walking with God at the time. Both of us together decided that we would go to church so that our kids could choose <laughs> to follow the Lord. You know, we wanted them to be exposed to the church, but we didn't want to continue living that way, the way that we should. You know, we were still not fully walking with God. And God used my son and my husband to honestly save me. And there was a scripture in 1 Timothy 2.15, and it said that she will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith and love and holiness with self-control. And that scripture I had found while I was pregnant, and the Lord really did use my son to save me from a life of recklessness.
0: Amazing. What's also amazing— Knowing your husband, Bradley Carter, Mm -hmm. that his story includes, obviously, you two meeting in a bar. Yes, while I was pregnant. (laughs) Yes. And it was like you told him, dude, you're crazy if you want to date a pregnant woman.
1: I really thought that he was not normal, (laughs) that there was something wrong with him. And my friends, too, would say that there's something not right. Who would want to date a pregnant woman? And I agreed. I 100% agreed.
0: But he couldn't get you off his mind.
1: No. And he definitely pursued me. And he asked me out, to which I said no, because I was pregnant. And he asked me to go to a Cirque du Soleil concert. And I just said no. And I got off the phone with him. And I looked up because I really wanted to go to the concert. And I just thought, I'll buy my own ticket. And they were sold out. And so I thought about, how could I get these tickets? <laughs> and about 30 minutes later, I called him back and was like, I'll go with you. And he said, did you see that they were sold out? And I said,
0: yes. <laughs> okay, there's the beginning of a great relationship right he there. said
1: that is how that began. <laughs> and really, we didn't spend a day apart after that. God did a mighty work in both of us. And we had to learn how to walk out what marriage looked like, what healing from trauma and addiction looked like. And we didn't do any programs. God faithfully met us there. Every step of the way, it was very, very painful at times because of what we brought into the relationships, because of the way we lived our life before God. Mm -hmm. That's not free of consequence. And that God is so good and merciful that His grace is sufficient, and his love covers over a multitude of sins.
0: So, what was it that you experienced in his teaching and training you and your husband that sticks out most in your mind in terms of the pivot that you made toward Jesus?
1: That is hard. So, my husband, he grew up Pentecostal, and I would go to the Methodist church when my parents took me off and on. So, there was a lot that we thought was biblical that wasn't. And so having to unlearn and relearn, I really feel like because of our addiction and our past, there was just a greater measure of grace for others even. And the hardest part was grace for ourselves. But being so willing to give grace to others and learning how to read the Bible and rightly divide it That, I would say, is still an ongoing process.
0: You bring up a point here that I think is universal, and that is showing grace to yourself, being kind to yourself. I was literally writing in my journal yesterday morning, and I was kind of beating myself up personally over some responses I had. Nobody was around me. My responses and thinking toward a challenging situation were not real positive. And the Lord reminded me that and said, why don't you... Speak kindly to yourself. I love you.
1: I totally can relate to that. And I did that for many years before I even realized the internal dialogue. And I remember sitting in the mirror and looking at myself and telling myself I was a bad mother. Mm. That was a teaching that we were learning at church at that time, the power of our words. And I remember looking in the mirror thinking, oh, my gosh, and thinking all of this time of this negative dialogue I'm telling to myself over and over. The enemy is having a heyday in my mind and learning how to take those thoughts captive and how to replace what the enemy says with God's truth of who I am and how freeing that was and still an ongoing battle. but. I learned to catch it a whole lot quicker than I did then.
0: Let's talk about that. How do you counsel somebody who's dealing with terrible inner dialogue?
1: Well, finding out what the Bible says about who they are and learning to spot the dialogue because it becomes so natural mm-hmm. that you, it's who you are, you believe. And it's not what the Bible says at all about you. We have the mind of Christ. We are his masterpiece. There are so many different aspects of learning to take that thought captive. And the spiritual warfare is real over our minds, especially as a family unit, as a marriage. totally, The enemy doesn't want our marriages to succeed. That's a representation of Christ and the church.
0: As far as confessing the word of God over our minds and our situations, people that haven't done that before, do you remember when you started doing that, Amy, how it just was like, I'm not speaking the truth here. This is just not true. But then as you continue to do it, And you're consistent with it, something shifts, doesn't it?
1: It does. And even over your children too. I remember being at a homeschool conference and getting a pamphlet called Who I Am in Christ. And I remember thinking like, Oh my gosh, look at all this truth about what God says about who we are throughout this and it's always for my kids. I'm always like, oh, I need to do this for the kids. And God uses that for me as well. Yes. Because as a mom, you want to impart everything you can to your children. And one of our daughters comes from a trauma background herself. And so a lot of lies of the enemy and rebuking that and helping her to get outside of her own mind where. I lived for so many years, not even realizing that I was encamped in darkness in my own mind.
0: I would suspect that you would say that is one of the most critical things anybody can do to shift their internal dialogue.
1: Yes. And what you surround yourself with, what kind of music you listen to, what you're watching, who your friends are. Those are all things that influence what you're keeping your mind steadfast on what you're spending your time doing all those things influence
0: and that's something that is very hard for a lot of us to actually embrace the truth of what we watch what we listen to and what we speak is absolutely critical isn't it
1: it is and there's a unique story on that whenever we were making that shift for our family And we were getting rid of our old music, our old clothing that was not glorifying to the Lord. And I can't believe half of the things that I had, our movies, what we were watching. And we were ridding our home. I mean, we were throwing away so much stuff. And Brad kept saying, I feel like there's something else, you know? And so we were praying, Lord, show us what else needs to be removed that does not glorify you in our home. And My husband said, I think it's in the attic. And I was like, the attic? And so we began to pray, and the Lord brought to my memory my witchcraft books were in the attic. And so we got up there, and we pulled them out, and I was going to throw them away. And Brad's like, no, we cannot throw those away or donate them. He's like, we can't let anyone get them. We have to burn them. And so that's what we did. He brought back that to our memory, something that years ago was just— Carelessly thrown up there.
0: I remember personally, Amy, in college when that hit me. What I listened to was so critical. I had a lot of really good albums at the time, and I gave them away and had about two and a half hours of recordings of Christian artists that I just committed to listen to, and that was all I listened to like for the next two years. It changed so much in my thinking.
1: It really does.
0: Yeah, it's powerful.
1: It really is. I definitely agree with that.
0: What is it that you encounter most often when you share your testimony, when you're speaking with other people about your life story? Is there a consistent piece of advice that you tend to dispense to those that you chat with?
1: Yeah, to never lose hope that God can reach the darkest of places and use his word to penetrate their heart. Because that's literally what he did for me.
0: And you have no doubt walked through that with many people, because I know you're involved in a ministry that does that.
1: Yes, we do homeless outreach and work with people that are coming out of addiction. So we have hired out of recovery because that's something just that we're passionate about because of what we both have experienced. And getting to provide a culture within our business that's a safe place where we can mentor and disciple and help people to walk through that. And God has equipped us with tools, and He can equip others with tools as well. And there's a lot of really great resources out there that do help people and equip them to have those tools to walk out how to process trauma, and how to just do life and experience hardships without having to use.
0: How can people find out more about you, Amy, and your business?
1: We have a business website, or you can email me as well, amy at groundsforcompassion.com.
0: And that's grounds, the number four, compassion.com. Correct. Okay. As we finish, I'd love to have you pray for our listeners, please.
1: Absolutely. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that nothing is wasted, Lord, and that you can turn beauty from ashes, Lord. God, the hardships that we walk through life, that you do turn around and make all things work together for good for those who love them, Lord. And we pray right now over anyone struggling with addiction or any family members that are struggling with addiction, Lord, and we break those bonds right now in Jesus' name and those strongholds over them, and we just pray freedom, Lord. Freedom from addiction, freedom from traumas that hold them back, Lord. Just help them to come to you, Lord, and to lay their burdens down and trust you with them, Lord. You are a good father and you are a healer, a redeemer, and a restorer. And we thank you for that. Mm. In Jesus' name.
0: Amen. Amen. Amy, thank you for sharing so vulnerably on this episode. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hey,
0: everyone. Thanks for listening.